When we talk about health literacy, what are we really talking about? Because there are so many associations with carrying that label. It's really loaded and it becomes coded for categories of people along race and class line. So when I think about the use of the term, I think, what if there was this mutual ability to assign the placement of providers into these categories by patient? It could be like structural literacy, social determinants of health literacy. I think when we start othering those who have the power to other, and that is experience, it raises into sharp relief how these terms can be misused, misapplied, misunderstood, and sometimes feel downright unfair. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy action and partnerships. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman. Today, I'm honored to speak with Lisa Stewart, who has a passion for working to make research and organizations more responsive to the needs and values of the people they serve. In addition to that, she enjoys time with her family and exploring the arts. It's a pleasure and honor to chat with you today, Lisa. Tell us a little bit about your journey in navigating the healthcare field. Well, thank you for inviting me, Ashley. This is great to be able to have a conversation with you and particularly about a topic that is just so important and timely. Most of us may be able to say that we are consumers of healthcare throughout our lives at different points, but then something critical happens and it draws you in closer and your relationship to the healthcare system intensifies. And that's happened to me over a couple of occasions, one in the care of my father near his end of life and another with my children who were born with different and unique health circumstances. In both cases, I would be in conversation with providers And at some point, I felt like they really weren't listening to me, but they were kind of observing and assessing who I was trying to figure out who was I. And then inadvertently, I would get a question at the end of these long looks after I asked my question, and they would say, are you a doctor? And I would say, no, I'm not. I'm a parent. I'm a daughter. I'm a caretaker. But I'm not a doctor. Why'd you ask? And they would say, oh, you know, some of the questions you're asking, it just sounds like you're in the medical profession. That struck me because I thought about, not about myself, but all the people that they are in contact with during the day, patients and caretakers, who they don't make that kind of judgment call, I'll say. And what were their associated thoughts about those folks, whether it be about their ability to care for themselves or care for their loved ones. So then at some point, I started to go back to school and I went to school for medical anthropology. I got very interested in power dynamics and care settings and how people understood health and treatment according to their cultural understanding of the world, what meanings that they associated Mm -hmm. with wellness and illness, and how many people I observed weren't having really good communication with their providers 
because that was in between them. It was a bridge that seemed a difficult one to cross in terms of communication and understanding one another through these different cultural prisms. The third piece of my journey through the healthcare system went with my role as a patient navigator. And for several years, I worked with families that had children with medically complex conditions. Part of the support service that I extended to them would be attending medical appointments with them and their children. And I just saw it over and over again that communication was being mediated by a number of different factors and it just got in the way from each party clearly understanding one another. And sometimes from the caretaker's position, it was the sheer fact of all the energy it took to make it to an appointment. Sometimes often that meant that families were showing up rushed. Maybe they hadn't eaten that day or been many hours in the waiting room going from appointment to appointment. And there were so many physical and mental pulls on them that sometimes they had a hard time conveying really what was important to them or lost sight of it, just trying to get into the appointment. I started to think a lot about this question of what is health literacy and how this terminology was being used. When you went back to school to dive deeper into the power dynamics in healthcare settings and your real world experiences as being a caretaker, but also a patient navigator. What have you found? How do those power dynamics play out in everyday situations that you've seen? When it comes to health literacy, I found that the terminology was largely used to describe people who were quote unquote, less educated than dot, dot, dot. Within a system that values education and erudition and credentials, those folks without those type of experiences or credentials can be left to feel undervalued in the way that they convey information or undervalued because They do not share certain elements of their provider's background. It comes up by what is said and not said. But when you're a provider, you don't have the position of knowing what's not said. As a navigator, I did, right? So I would have several conversations with families waiting for this very significant appointment. It's very significant because, A, it took months and months to get this appointment and significant because clearly some adjustments needed to be made in the end. And then they get to the appointment and something else happens. Something that creates a silence or mutes them to the point where I would often feel like that they weren't fully authentically being themselves and having all their concerns brought to the table. When we talk about health literacy, what are we really talking about? Because there are so many associations with carrying that label. It's really loaded and it becomes coded for categories of people along race and class line. So when I think about the use of the term, I think, what if there was this mutual ability to assign the placement of providers into these categories 
by patient. It could be like structural literacy, social determinants of health literacy. I think when we start othering those who have the power to other, and that is experience, it raises into sharp relief how these terms can be misused, misapplied, misunderstood, and sometimes feel downright unfair. The opportunity of switching it, like you said, are you literate around social determinants of health and and these other things that are very important, but there isn't necessarily a term to identify those gaps in, in providers is literacy in those specific right. areas. But it, it seems like the responsibility is always placed on the patient when we talk about health literacy. It seems like something that the patient has either succeeded at becoming health literate or not succeeded at become health literate. Would you agree that people become more health literate as they learn to navigate the system? The first day that you're diagnosed with something, your understanding of that diagnosis is very different than it is two years later as you have grown to Mm -hmm. understand the treatments and your options and everything like that. So I feel like the the Mm -hmm. term itself and the whole concept is pretty fluid and we should recognize that fluidity Mm. more. I really like that, Ashley. I really like you introducing the fluidity of that concept. It's fluid and multi-layered because you could be quite knowledgeable about a particular condition and not another. If you have two conditions, you may get really saturated and overloaded, just absorbing everything you need to know about the primary condition and less attentive to the other one because the other one demands so much of you. So I think that's extraordinarily important. I also do want to credit that I think it was in 2020 that the definition of health literacy kind of took on a new form, according to HHS and CDC, that it is thought of now within those spaces as personal health literacy. So it went from a definition that really focused on this idea of capacity, again, going back to that kind of intellectual capacity, the capacity to obtain, process, and understand basic health information. And then with the current revision, which shows up in Healthy People 2030, personal health literacy is changed through definition to the degree to which individuals have the ability to find, understand, and use or apply information and services and make the most appropriate health decisions for themselves and others. And then they introduced this new concept of organizational health literacy, which is the degree to which organizations equitably enable individuals to find and understand and use information and services. From an equity standpoint, it has widened the lens to include the organization's responsibility in enabling individuals to be better consumers of health. There's a sense of ownership being taken for organizations and providers to help patients and caregivers achieve that level of understanding. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like patients and caregivers can do 
to let their providers know that they are capable of understanding and fully participating in their care or on the flip side that they need better information. How do we advocate for ourselves in those situations where the communication might be a challenge? I want to talk about what I would love to see when I walk in the door of a hospital or healthcare system, because I think this goes to the point of like, what can organizations do to create environments where asking questions is not only supported, but encouraged? Because it happens like holistically as how you set up environments, right? When I think of healthcare system that I would love to be a part of, when I walk in the door, what would I see? I would see a fitness center that had from doctors to our food service staff in there working out together. I would like to see an area where there are book talks and lectures for the public. I would like to see a health information center where people are immediately encouraged to learn more about their condition or to learn the mechanics of changing like a trach, for example, if you're a caretaker for a person with a trach. And that there would be three-dimensional models of the human body. And people could just go there for greater understanding about how their organs work. How how do these systems work together? Because in these very compressed interactions, now you've been diagnosed with a kidney condition, and you're trying to understand, really, how does this kidney work? How does the kidney work with the heart? Like, There's so much coming into that space all at once that you need a moment to step back, process and then have a welcoming environment to go learn more. And that's not attached to an appointment. So you have to wait another four weeks before you see a provider, but there are health education specialists available to answer some basic questions. To me, those are elements of health promoting environments. And that's not what we have as the norm right now. Right. And I think that then changes behaviors that changes interactions between the providers, patients that are coming prepared to have conversations that are perhaps different than they would in the absence of those elements. I love that. I'm envisioning it in my head. <laughs> the 3D dimensional diagrams and everything like that would be so helpful because we only see our bodies from the outside. And even looking at x-rays, it can be confusing. But really having a greater understanding of what's going on inside would definitely help us understand what's really happening with us, why this medication makes sense, why this treatment makes sense, all these things that seem confusing, but once you break it down in a diagram and in a tangible way, people can really understand it at a higher level. Two things come immediately to mind. One is work that I've seen coming out of the design space and design as it's applied to instructions for patients on how to manage their disease. One example I'm thinking about is in asthma, 
there's a, a group out of Chicago that redesigned the asthma action plan. Typically, it's a pretty confusing document. If you're feeling like this, you're in the red zone or you're, you know, or you're in the yellow zone or green zone if you have different indicators. And then it sends you down a decision tree of what to do. I've seen that be redesigned to a very simple format that someone who is under respiratory distress could easily look at and determine what should be their next course of action. So some of it is about not just the content, but how information is presented. I also think about the work of Lisa Fitzpatrick and Grapevine Health, and she has some great videos on YouTube and at their site where she's actually in the community. I believe Lisa's trained as an epidemiologist. And she's asking everyday folk about their bodies. She has that 3D model, right? And she's asking them certain questions. And she's very accessible and approachable. And she identifies with the community of folks that she's largely speaking with. And so I think that's also critical. Who are your messengers? And where are you when you give this information? So we see quite a bit of really powerful health ministries in the Black and Brown communities. And that's because the churches are such an important site for information sharing and support. And some of the most robust health ministries are involved in training health professionals in certain ways and in research. So there's there's good work out there happening, no question. We just have to find a way to, to scale it and, and bring some of these great practices together. I think that's beautifully said, a more humanistic way and, and communicating on that level and understanding what's important to each other because that's what matters the most. This quote, is from a patient about the powerful perspective that patients can bring. And they raise up a very important issue, which will come out in this quote. So I read, they have to stop treating us like because we're Black, we're a handicap. Being Black is not a handicap. I'm living in a certain area, an area with a certain zip code, but that's not a handicap. Having underlying health conditions that are not certified as a handicap is not a handicap. A lot of times I speak personally for myself. When I do, I am presumed as aggressive because I can properly advocate for myself. You know, I can go into a doctor's office and quote HIPAA law to these people because I'm familiar with the HIPAA law. They have to stop automatically assuming that because you're in a poverty-stricken area, you are an imbecile. Everybody is not undereducated. We have people in my community that I would say have more sense than the college-educated doctors. You know what I'm saying? Doctors also have to be mindful that you are trained to diagnose symptoms. You are not trained to diagnose me. We are the professionals when it comes to us because nobody can tell us about our bodies more than we can. So, end quote. Clearly, this is someone who has felt like that they've been misread and may have been placed in that category of being health illiterate or being just against that spectrum. And so I raised their voice up to introduce a firsthand kind of perspective 
the way it is now, creating this they're health literate, they're health illiterate kind of duality puts us on. You belong to a group and people feel that. So when we recognize all kinds of knowledge and there are many, many great providers and systems that are doing just that. But for those who have still not caught up or still working on that, we all have something to work on. And listen back to the voice of those who have been placed in those positions. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.